Welcome, everybody. It's what we do every Friday here on 710 ESPN Seattle. It is time to get in the cage. It's brought to you by the Emerald Queen Casino. It's always a pleasure to speak to this man. You hear him on Sirius XM Fight Nation. Channel 156 does a great job covering the sport of MMA. And he's with us on the Zeke's Pizza Hotline. He is Luke Thomas. Luke, how are you, man? I'm doing quite well, sir. Thank you so much for having me. Hey, it's good to talk to you again, as always. And I want to I want to get into what we just saw over the weekend. First of all, just the card as a whole. I'm seeing there's always hyperbole or, or big criticism after uh, any any card that had excitement or lack thereof. But everybody tweeting best card of the year, best card I've seen in years. Period. Where where does this card just as a whole stack up in your mind? Just at least against what we've seen this year to this point. Yeah, I don't know if I put it as best card of the year. Certainly not all time, but. Two things I would say, actually. <clears throat> One is, uh, you know, UFC's had a lot of shows this year, more than they've had in a long time. And a lot of those shows, the ones like the Fight Nights, some of the ones on ESPN, a lot of the ones on ESPN+, Plus, they're very unremarkable and not that great. However, in their defense, their pay-per-views this year have been really excellent. Uh, UFC 240, not so much, but, I mean, you go back um, all the way, I think, to th- – I mean, why, there's many you could go to at this point. But certainly um, – I have been very impressed with the quality of their pay-per-view cards at this point. So that's one I would say. Second, um, I would say that in Romero versus Costa, you got the best middleweight fight in years that wasn't for a title. And the return of Nate Diaz, a little bit less than thrilling because he didn't quite get the finish, but still I think people were really happy with it. And then you got a very, very satisfying and frankly surprising to a degree main event. So here's what I would say. You know, best of the year, probably not, but part of a larger trend and absolutely worth your money. Well, let's talk about the Diaz fight. I want to hit the others with you after that. But uh, in terms of the Diaz fight, I saw an interesting tweet from Dominic Cruz after that saying, based, just to paraphrase, that ring rust is a myth. It doesn't exist. And, and that was just perfect evidence of it right there. And he's a guy, obviously, we know would suffer from ring rust with all the time he's been out. And he's come back and looked sharp himself. So... Are you a believer in that, or do you think it's just an individual thing? It has an impact on some fighters, and other pi- fighters like Diaz, like Cruz, can go in there and pick up where they left off. Yeah, no, it's absolutely a thing. I mean, look, I, you know, whenever we have these kinds of questions, it's like, oh, media personality says fighter is wrong. And, you know, then everyone tells <laughs> you that uh, you don't know what you're talking about. Look, here's the reality. Fighters say a lot of things to justify to themselves the decisions that they make. Um, here's another example. Eddie Alvarez, I forget which fight it was prior to, maybe the Justin Gaethje fight. Um, I'm not entirely sure, but he had said that overtraining is a myth. Well, no, it actually is not. In fact, not only is it not a myth, it's well documented that overtraining is a phenomenon and that it's bad for you. There are things such as MRV, maximum recoverable volume. How much work can you do and actually recover from? What he's probably saying is that the standards that which most people adhere to don't necessarily apply to me in this case. And that is probably true. But is overtraining a myth? No, it is quite real, quite documented. Same thing with ring rust. Does ring rust affect every fighter every time there's a layoff of note? No, it does not. Does it affect most fighters most of the time? Quite clearly. People aren't just imagining things. I mean, it is true that the fight game is full of a lot of mythologies and false um, uh, you know, ideas about things that we just repeat because it's worth repeating. And I appreciate people who want to challenge those things, but no, it's real. As far as Diaz performance goes, did you feel like, all right, he look, I can see that he's been out of the cage for, I mean, we're talking three years. Uh, did you see any of that in him as, as far as what you compared to who he was prior to this? 
So, uh, yes, and the truth is actually good and bad. So let's start with the good side. On the good side, I actually thought he added a bunch of tools. This was a guy who clearly was in the gym during his time off. He was not wasting it. Now, you know, I don't know exactly how rigorous his training was, but the point being is he clearly was in there enough that by the time he came back, he was able to show new wrinkles. Uh, he was able to stance switch as a means of distance closing. That's something he had basically never done before. Um, he was able to, you know, he had, people say he never checks leg kicks, but the reality is he kind of does. But anyway, he, he, he did that nice and sharp here in ways he hadn't necessarily done that before. So he had a couple of extra tricks that either were never on display or not on display in the way that they were in this particular fight, which I thought was great. I think the part that showed a little bit of ring rust was, I'm told by his coach, that he got to the arena late, so his warm-up was bad. And then you noticed he was a little bit huffing and puffing, and you're like, well, how can that be if he trains all the time and he's used to five-round fights? I think managing a, th- a three-round fight was a new thing for him. You know, that's the kind of thing where if he hadn't had time off, I don't think that would have been an issue. But for that, he you know, had a little bit of resource management issues, but certainly not fatally. I mean, he looked pretty good, right? Uh, and he also hit, he hit that head-outside single takedown. So to me, it's like uh, the, the, the rust that he showed should be easily shaken off if he gets it back out there in a reasonable timeline. And he added a bunch of stuff. He looked good. Before I ask you what's next for him, just give me a quick thought on Pettis, a guy who uh, I love watching him fight. He's incredibly dynamic. I, I think he looks healthier at 170. But you, you look at this fight not as much as previous fights where he's he's taken a lot of damage where he didn't do that earlier in his career. And while it leads to a, a very exciting fight for the fans, it doesn't lead to a, an extended career. Just wondering where you think he's at physically. Is he a guy you look at and say and he's no doubt a contender for the title? He's still one of the true elite fighters, or he looks like a guy where some of the tread is worn off the tire? Yeah, I mean, um, you know, I, you always hate to say that, but I think it's the latter. I mean, if you actually look, this is well documented. I'm not one of these guys who changes things after the fact. I got the main event wrong in my prediction quite, quite, quite badly, but I got the co-main quite right. Um, I did a video on it called Dissected. You can look it up and – um, one of the things I had said was two, two, two considerations he had to make going into this fight. One was the body of work had showed that Pettis gets easily backed up because he's, he's already naturally a counterfighter, and he has that big strike potential. We've all seen him run off the cage and punch Benson Henderson or that head kick he landed on Joe Lausanne, right? He's got real big, big strike potential. But that means you're going to wait a little bit. And that's naturally true for how he's always been. It's especially true now that he's older. So in the process of waiting and waiting and waiting, and then someone pressing into him, he gets backed up a lot. And if folks may not realize this, you don't want to get backed up too much. Um, And if you get backed up to the fence, that can be a very big problem for you. Okay? That was one consideration. And the second one was, it's not like he's out there getting viciously KO'd in fights. That part is not true. But he's breaking hands. Uh, You saw him injure his foot in this one. He had his ribs separated against uh, Dustin Poirier, and so on, and so on. He's taken a number of punches while not getting knocked out. He has taken a lot of punches. He's taken a lot of abuse, a lot of abuse over the years. And to me, what that has done is that's taken that counterfighting style and made him even more um, uh, hesitant. And uh, I just don't think he can keep up the same kind of effort over time. So my thought was by the third round, you know, Diaz is going to be all over him, and that's exactly what you got. So... Uh, Look, here's the deal. I still think he's capable of winning inside the UFC again. Um, Questions about at what level, though, I'm not going to commit to an answer about how high or how low because I I just don't know. 
But I do think people need to accept that the guy's been fighting for 12 years. 12 years in the toughest division in the sport. Man, that's going to wear on anybody. Luke Thomas is our guest here on 710 ESPN Seattle. So as far as Nate Diaz goes, obviously there was the back and forth with him and Jorge Masvidal, very respectful. Uh, and then Conor McGregor salutes Diaz on, on Twitter, you know, give him his props and respect, and then alluding to a trilogy fight. Who, what should we see next for Diaz? What would you like to see? Uh, well, there's a lot of options you could go to. You know, the good news about Nate Diaz, it's kind of like picking fights with, I don't know, somebody exciting like a Justin Gaethje. It's like, how about Justin Gaethje versus X or Y or Z? And you're like, yeah, sure, all of, the, all of those are great. Yeah. So um, in that sense, Diaz has the pick of the litter. Obviously, he called out Jorge Masvidal. I'd really like to see that, to be honest with you. Um, partly because Colby Covington's going to get the next shot of Kamar Usman at welterweight, which leaves Jorge Masvidal in a bit of a lurch. And folks had said, you know, oh, he should fight Leon Edwards. Like, why would you do that? I'm not one of these guys who is a big believer that if you're ranked, let's say, fifth, you should avoid fighting somebody who's ranked eighth because you don't have much to gain. I think that's a little silly. But in this particular case, where Masvidal is ranked third and Edwards is ranked fourth, I will, I will justify that. And the, and the reason why is because Jorge Masvidal has been on the wrong end of very dubious split decisions for years. He's been grinding for 16 years in this career, and he finally, finally breaks through in a major way with his last two wins. And Leon Edwards, while he is, please don't misunderstand me, a very, very credible talent. Maybe, I'm sure we'll fight for a title at some point. He's that good. The guy does no media and makes no real effort to promote, for lack of a better description, his brand. Why should Jorge Masvidal fight that guy right now? That would be such an epic waste. Even if you win, you get nothing out of it. You're already ahead of him in the rankings. And if you lose, everything you've been working for for 16 years goes up in smoke. What, what a disaster of an idea that is. However, here comes Nate Diaz. And Nate Diaz, even if I think either of these guys lose to one another, I don't think it substantively damages their brand. And uh, it'd be for a hell of a fight. You're, you're talking about two guys who are breaking out in ways from the pack that they never really have before. Certainly Diaz with Connor, but now on his own. Uh, I love everything about that fight. So that, that's that's the direction I hope that he goes. So who would you match Connor McGregor up with then? That that man, that one's really hard because when, first of all, like, when is he coming back? That you know, a lot of times like, <laughs> people are like, oh, X should fight Y, but it's like the UFC has to build a calendar, man, and they got to know who's available. For example, like why did Frankie Edgar fight? Max Holloway, UFC 240. Okay, he has a bigger name than some of the other contenders, like Alexander Volkanovsky or, or whatever. But part of it was, at the time, Volkanovsky had that blood infection, and they were like, all right, look, Edgar's got a big name, and here's the biggest part. He's available. He's ready. Plug him in. A lot of it is just who's around. So, the, so it's really hard to know who you can match him up with. Obviously, you can give him the winner of Diaz and Masvidal. That's a big one if they make that fight soon. Um, or you could just give him outright Masvidal or outright Nate. Uh, I, I suspect he's going to angle for the winner of Habib versus Poirier, UFC 242. And then there's Tony Ferguson hanging out there in the wings. Mm -hmm. So the answer is, man, I don't really know because I don't know what he's thinking, what he can make the UFC agree to, and on what timeline he's coming back. But probably one of those is the answer. Luke Thomas of SiriusXM, Fight Nation, Channel 156, uh, MMA on SiriusXM is joining us here for a few more moments. Uh, let's talk about that main event, Luke, because you weren't the only one that was wrong on that. I thought DC would get the win. I also thought he would he would uh, implement his wrestling much more than he did. I thought he was after the first round. He had his way, but then 
Is DC a guy who's he's got power? Obviously, we've seen it. We we saw it against Stipe the first time around. So he can punch. Is he a guy that's sort of abandoned what what really has made him a unique special athlete in his wrestling and and fallen in love with that power and feeling like I can I can turn the tide with any single shot anytime I want? Or how how did you view his game plan? Because it was a little confusing to me. Yeah, I, well, I, I uh, I'll disagree with that slightly. Slightly. I thought he could have mixed it up more, which is even if you don't get the takedown, make him respect the takedown threat. Right. And from there, create more offensive opportunities. I don't think he did that. But the idea you're going to go in there and just wrestle Stipe to the ground, I mean, even if you do it, you saw that one big slam that he had. Dude, that is taxing. That is really, really taxing. So I don't think that's a viable strategy either. So I'll agree that mixing it up more was missing and that really cost him, and that could have been a difference maker because I had him up 3-0 heading into the fourth where he was ultimately stopped. Here, though, is one thing. Look, I have not been a big believer in Stipe Miocic, and this is why I, I, analysts don't want to admit when they get things wrong because they think that it, it makes them look bad. And certainly, you know, it's better to get things right than get things wrong, but the way you build trust with an audience is talk about what you missed mm-hmm. and acknowledge the failure. Here is what I missed. This is the thing that really got me, which no one's talking about, and I find a little bit alarming for D.C. To your point, he could have had a better game plan, and that might change things if there's a a trilogy fight. I openly concede. On the other hand, I watch a lot of film, man, a lot of film. I spend an inordinate amount of film. And the big lesson in watching film is watch what fighters do when they win. What are the contexts that they establish? And almost to a perfection, if you see that, they win. In other words, what does John Jones do when he fights you? He takes away what you're good at, mm-hmm. right? They don't, they don't let you have it. They take it away. In prepping for this fight, I was watching tons of DC film, and I saw if he gets a left-handed collar tie, which is his left hand around the back of your neck, he's right. able to establish that. And if you ever watch him in boxing range, you probably remember this, DC will reach and grab both of his hands out and he'll grab Stipe's hands. You guys ever seen that? Yep. Those are, those are two key pieces of his offense. Well, here's the, here's the interesting part. In every other fight where he's been able to do that, he wins. This is the first time Stipe let him have it, and he lost. That's never happened before, not even in the John fight. John was not trying to relent to that at all. John was trying to take that away from him, right. as he always does, and, of course, found the head kick. So what do you do? Like, St. Pierre took things away from you. Jones takes things away from you. What do you do if your opponent lets you have your favorite thing and then you get stopped with strikes? That's a very, very difficult question to answer. So where where does he go now? We I read his obviously his post where he's he's gonna think, he's gonna he apologized to everybody, which you know, I tweeted back to him, yo, nobody an apology, man. This is the beauty of the sport. Anything can happen on any single moment, any given night's what makes it exciting. Uh but having said all of that. Is he a guy in your mind that you, you think, hey, he's got a ton left in the tank despite his retirement talk, he should jump back in there either for a trilogy fight with Stipe, a trilogy fight with John Jones, depending on the weight? What, what do you think he should do? Huh, well, what should he do? He should not listen to me is what he should do because <laughs> I am in no position to give career advice. So, you know, it's funny. I talk to a lot of other people in the sport. I'm like, hey, what do you think he's going to do? And you ask one person and they say he comes back. You ask another, they say he doesn't. You know, it's really hard to know. My personal hunch, and this is, I want to be very clear to your audience, it's just a hunch. I don't really know. But he said before the fight he did not want to go out on his back in his career. And 
while I think it's troubling for him that he was able to implement big portions of the strategy that he, that's been working for him for all these years, there probably, to your point, is enough of a change in what he could do a third time to make him think that uh, a third uh, a fight in the third uh, a win in a third fight is possible. And I'll just say this: I actually think he does because um, he's such a born competitor. I think he wants not a fairy tale ending, but to to make sure that he that when he decides to hang it up in his last effort, he gave it everything he had, which I don't know if you could say he did. In this, I mean, I'm sure he tried hard, but like in terms of listening to his coaches, which he openly admitted he did not do. And the other, the, the other sort of consideration here is now with Stipe Miocic, you have a chapter, you have a foe in your career, not named John Jones, and you can triumph over him. You already have one time. I think it allows you to write an ending without John Jones that is triumphant and spectacular and important and validating. And I'm not sure he would have had that otherwise. So uh, I, I suspect he'll come back, but, you know, your guess is quite literally as good as mine. And I would say this, and it sounds like you're leaning that way as well. I like his chances against Stipe decidedly more than I do against Jones, and not because of what he did in the first fight. I just think Jones, as you said, he's just got that knack, and people can say it's boring at times, but he does take away whatever it is you do best. He's he's dominated uh, Cormier for the most part in both, both fights. I, I just don't think he does well. I think it's a terrible matchup for Cormier. Uh, and his his best shot would sit with Stipe if he had to choose between those two. Just my opinion. Yeah, I think that's probably right. And um, and again, I do think there's probably enough in his mind to say, oh, I could have done this different, man. I could have done this. Like, that's the way he wants to go out? Like, you get stopped, and then you're telling yourself, I could have done this differently? I, I mean, maybe, maybe, maybe his family says enough is enough, in which case he's, al- he's already a Hall of Famer. But I don't know. I think one more, one more uh, march into the breach is what he's looking for. He is Luke Thomas. You can catch his show on Sirius XM Fight Nation Channel 156. Does a fantastic job covering the sport of MMA. Hey, Luke, always a pleasure to speak with you, my friend. Thanks so much for taking the time, and I really look forward to talking to you again in the future. Yes, sir. Always good to catch up.